welcome to the book podcast. We're going to keep reading in, in Search of Lost Time today. And uh, we're still in the opening where the person is shifting and transitioning in a dream state from being awake to being half asleep to having some imagination and some memories floating by and then creating this atmosphere and this, this feeling and environment from which the whole story is going to grow out and then you're going to be going to see more and more of his for Marcel's life and and all the nuances in in the developments so it it uh, continues here then would come up the memory of a fresh position the wall slid away in another direction i was in my room in madame de saint house in the country good heavens it must be 10 o'clock they will have finished dinner I must have overslept myself in the little nap which I always take when I come in from my walk with Madame de Saint-Loup before dressing for the evening. For many years have elapsed since the Combray days when, coming in from the longest and latest walks, I would still be in time to see the reflection of the sunset glowing in the panes of my bedroom window. It is a very different kind of existence at Tansonville now with Madame de Saint-Loup and a different kind of pleasure that I now derive from taking walks only in the evenings, from visiting the moonlight, the roads on which I used to play. As a child in the sunshine, while the bedroom in which I shall presently fall asleep instead of dressing for dinner, from afar off I can see it. As we return from our walk, with its lamp shining through the window, a solitary beacon in the night. These shifting and confused gusts of memory never lasted for more than a few seconds. It often happened that, in my spell of uncertainty as to where I was, I did not distinguish the successive theories of which that uncertainty was composed any more than when we watch a horse running. We isolate the successive positions of its body as they appear upon a bioscope. But I had seen first one and then another of the rooms in which I had slept during my life, and in the end I would revisit them all in the long course of my waking dream, rooms in winter, where on going to bed I would at once bury my head in a nest, built up out of the most diverse materials, the corner of my pillow, the top of my blankets, a piece of shawl, the edge of my bed, and a copy of an evening paper. All of which things I would contrive with the infinite patience of birds building their nests to cement into one whole. Rooms where, in a keen frost, I would feel the satisfaction of being shut in from the outer world, like the sea swallow, which builds at the end of a dark tunnel and is kept warm by the surrounding earth, and where, the fire keeping in all night, I would sleep wrapped up, as it were, in a great cloak of snug and savory air, shot with the glow of the logs, which would break out again in flame, in a sort of alcove without walls, a cave of warmth dug out of the heart of the room itself, a zone of heat whose boundaries were constantly shifting and altering, in temperature as gusts of, ran, of air ran across them to strike freshly upon my face. From the corners of the room, 
and from parts near the window or far from the fireplace, which had therefore remained cold, or rooms in summer where I would delight to feel myself a part of the warm evening. But the moonlight striking upon the half-opened shutters would throw down to the foot of my bed its enchanted ladder, where I would fall asleep, as it might be in the open air, like a titmouse which the breeze keeps poised in the focus of a sunbeam, or sometimes the Louis XIV room, so cheerful that I could never really feel unhappy, even on my first night in it. That room, where the slender columns which lightly supported its ceiling would part, ever so gracefully, to indicate where the bed was and to keep it separate. Sometimes, again, that little room with a high ceiling, hollowed in the form of a pyramid, out of two separate stories, and partly walled with mahogany, in which from the first moment my mind was drugged by the unfamiliar scent of flowering grasses. Convinced of the hostility of the violet curtains, and of the insolent indifference of a clock that chatted on at the top of its voice as though I, would, I were not there, while a strange and pitiless mirror with square feet which stood across one corner of the room cleared for itself a sight I had not looked to find tenanted in the quiet surroundings of my normal field of vision. That room in which my mind, forcing itself for hours on end to leave its moorings, to elongate itself upwards so as to take on the exact shape of the room, and to reach to the summit of that monstrous funnel, had passed so many anxious nights while my body laid stretched out in bed, my eyes staring upwards, my ears straining, my nostrils sniffing uneasily, and my heart beating, until custom had changed the color of the curtains, made the clock keep quiet, brought an expression of pity to the cruel, slanting face of the glass, disguised or even completely dispelled the scent of flowering grasses and distinctly reduced the apparent loftiness of the ceiling. Custom, that skillful but unharrying manager who begins by torturing the mind for weeks on end with her provisional arrangements, whom the mind, for all that, is fortunate in discovering, for without the help of custom it would never contrive, by its own efforts, to make any room seem habitable. Okay, so this is the first <laughs> example of a sentence that goes over two pages. <laughs> it's uh, it's constantly just um, like colons or semicolons, and it's, it's just like a string of thoughts. And it's one of those techniques where Proust just wants to. He's making a point of a of a mental state where you don't really have kind of blocks of sentences in the normal sense. It's more like this fleeting mass of, of thoughts uh, and he's also bringing up one of the main themes of the whole work which is habit uh, and like routine and how that that creates and constitutes habits and how as he said that habits are necessary or customs um, to make any room seem habitable and th but this is also later on when he's talking more about uh, like this uh, the mystery of, of time and this involuntary memories that suddenly can come up in your mind and bring you back like five or 10, like 20, 30 years um, 
and then he's showing that one of the keys to to create these experiences is to break your habits so once you start going out of your routines and habits the mind is waking up and then you and you can get these uh, you can find again things and times in your own life that you thought you had forgotten okay so certainly i was now well awake my body had turned about for the last time and the good angel of certainty had made all the surrounding objects stand still had set me down under my bedclothes in my bedroom had fixed approximately in the right places in the uncertain light my chest of drawers my writing table my fireplace the window overlooking the street and both the doors but it was no good my knowing that i was not in any of those houses of which in the stupid moment of waking i had not caught sight exactly i could still believe in their possible presence for memory was now set in motion. As a rule, I did not attempt to go to sleep again at once, but used to spend the greater part of the night recalling our life in the old days at Combray with my great aunt at Balbec, Paris, Donciers, Venice, and the rest. Remembering again all the places and people that I had known, what I had actually seen of them, and what others had told me. So there's, um, there's yet another element to this, which is that the whole, the whole work, or the whole, whole book, collection of books are about time, but they're also about place. So he, what he's doing here is he's, he's mentioning the different places and all the names of Paris, Donsier, Venice, just bring up to mind different worlds that are kind of a, it's a conceptual thing the same way as time like if you think of in some sense if you think of uh something that's 20 years ago if it's in the same town or city that you're still in or if it's in another one they're still just it's a different place than now and they're kind of self-contained worlds so he's he's using a like a, after very long-winded sentences kind of suddenly putting different cities to to create this effect that you have uh, another type of awareness of place in your mind and in your psychology. Okay, so just one more paragraph. At Combray, as every afternoon ended, long before the time when I should have to go up to bed and to lie there, unsleeping, far from my mother and grandmother, my bedroom became the fixed point on which my melancholy and anxious thoughts were centered. Someone had had a happy idea of giving me, to distract me on evenings, when I seemed abnormally wretched, a magic lantern, which used to be set on top of my lamp while I waited for dinner time to come. In the manner of the master builders and glass painters of Gothic days, it substituted for the opaqueness of my walls an impalpable iridescence, supernatural phenomena of many colors in which legends were depicted as on a shifting and transitory window. But my sorrows were only increased, because this change of lighting destroyed, as nothing else could have done, the customary impression I had formed of my room, thanks to which the room itself, but for the torture of having to go to bed in it, 
had become quite endurable. For now, I no longer recognized it, and I became uneasy. As though I were in a room in some hotel or furnished lodging, in a place where I had just arrived by train for the first time. So, when he talks about this magic thing with the magic lantern on top of the lamp, this is going to be also a, a way of showing the whole structure of the work through images coming out of this magic lantern upon the walls. And it's also yet another way of describing the magic of storytelling and kind of illusion and that how you evoke images in your mind of different times and then how life is composed of many of these these fleeting images from, from other times and other places. Uh, and then are centered around him in his mind <laughs> with, a, with the memory of being a little boy. And also, the, so the childhood is coming stronger. Every time he mentions Combray, you're kind of gradually drawn into his, his childhood and, and the world of a child, which is very important. So this, this is yet another kind of main theme through the whole like seven volumes that you see the world in the beginning once he, he fully goes into his childhood as a child and then gradually the experience is becoming more nuanced and, and he's more self-aware and he's understanding more of himself and the world as he grows older all the way until the the last volume so this is a there is a play here in the beginning that this is a an adult person thinking back on the childhood but then more and more you will see that you start thinking and seeing the world through the eyes of a child so it's um it's really a fascinating and it, it, there's such a <laughs> this is such a one of mastery and the beauty in the way he's doing this uh with such a uh, it's, it's just such a <laughs> gradual natural way of 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 changing the focus and then uh, kind of molding molding your mind and the emotion around it to, to be able to live into the story as, as much as possible and then also evoking your own kind of memories as well which is an underlying point on every page uh, okay so we're going to stop it there it's about 15 minutes and um hope uh, some of this was uh, interesting or enjoyable or some food for thought and as always thank you so much for listening and talk to you again soon